Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we are honored and privileged to have with us Dr. David Jankolo, who is a specialist cardiologist and the president of the SA Heart, or South African Heart or South African Heart Foundation, David. I'm not, uh, can't remember if what's. What the acronym is. So, yes. The acronym is SA Heart, and it's the South African Heart Association. And we represent the professional interests of everybody who works in cardiovascular medicine. And uh, just let me. Uh, firstly, um, you know, thank you for the opportunity. I'm grateful. Um, and um, uh, greetings to all the listeners. Um, so our mission and vision is to ensure that there's adequate cardi- cardiovascular care for every single South Africa. South Africa, that's our mandate, and that's what we, we would like to achieve. It must be quite difficult, though. I mean, it's a great mandate to have with such a, how would you say, such an unequal health system in South Africa, Small private sector, massive public se- sector with low resources, lots of patients. Do you have anything to do with that? I mean, it must be difficult to to achieve that. Well, you're absolutely right. I was in the public healthcare system for 12, 13 years up until 2000. I've been in private practice since then. And we do have a disparate healthcare system where the vast majority of our people don't have easy access to specialist tertiary care. Um, the good thing is that we are engaging with the Minister and the Minister of Health who has invited us to be on a ministerial advisory committee, particularly with COVID, and that transpired six months ago. And um, they would like us to be engaged with non-communicable diseases, particularly related to heart disease or cardiovascular disease going forward. And that's very important for us because we would like to have a say, to have our voice heard, that if and when national health insurance comes in, that we want to uh, state our case as to what we feel is acceptable standards of cardiovascular care. You know, universal access to healthcare is a very noble thing, but I think you and I both know, Dean, that in healthcare there's no free lunch, that somebody's got to pay. The, the reasons for bringing in NHI, which was justified by the previous minister repeatedly, is that 70% of what's spent on health goes on about 30% of the population, which we agree. But we've always said that private healthcare was built with private, um, private money. And we, in, in the future, in my opinion, is to create public-private partnerships going forward. I'll just tell you one very big positive thing to come out of COVID. There's nothing positive about COVID, but everybody's been working together like never before. Camaraderie is at an all-time high. Teamwork is at an all-time high. And the private healthcare system has really stepped up to health to help um, the public sector as best as it as best as it can as as it can. So, and that's that's a 
a kind of way, it's a springboard as to how we could work in the future going forward. Now, I'm not sure if your listeners know that the cardiovascular disease, heart disease, is the biggest killer in the world. It's not infections or COVID. At the moment, you might think so. I mean, it's obviously a pandemic, which is extremely important. But heart disease kills up to fifty to 60,000 people worldwide every single day. <coughs> so it is the number one killer in the world. And even still during the COVID pandemic, is heart disease still the number one killer? Controversial question. I'm not. I was actually looking for some information. Possibly now, recently with the second wave, uh, possibly we've taken a slight. Uh, uh, it's probably the COVID has uh, overpassed, uh, over, overpassed us. You know, cardiovascular disease. But uh, but going forward, non-communicable disease will be much more important than infected infections and in, uh, communicable diseases going forward. And it has been up until now. So, it, you, you know, people with, with COVID, um, the, one of the big things is that we were signatory to a letter to the COVID command in about April last year. Because, as you know, uh, people were too scared to go see their doctors and or to come to hospital. And many people were ignoring symptoms. And it was a worldwide phenomenon that the doctor's practices were quiet. And actually, people were dying at home. Uh, Out-of-cardiac arrests had actually soared. And um, because of this fear that um, I'm too scared to go to hospital. In fact, the government now agrees with us that those with underlying background chronic diseases, whether it's heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, gastrointestinal disease, those those people should be consulting their doctors on an ongoing basis because, and especially if they've got symptoms, um, because if you ignore the symptoms, problems can be sorted out and picked up before they're really, really big problems. So uh, one incident that I was party to was a, a lady in her 30s with a massive heart attack who had had chest pain for a number of days and she refused to go to hospital. And when she eventually came, she was shocked and she unfortunately died. And we just wondered, you know, the outcome may have been different if she'd come as soon as the chest pain occurred. Uh, it will start developing. So we're saying to people, especially in if, with respect to heart disease, that chest pain is a very important uh, symptom, especially if it's not going away and it's getting worse. Chest pain that occurs with physical exertion, we call that angina. And shortness of breath, dizziness or fainting, those are very important symptoms and people should consult their doctors. Okay, we're going to take a short ad break and... When we're done, I'd like to chat about uh, why heart disease is the biggest killer. We'll be back after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we are joined by Dr. David Jankelo. Specialist cardiologist at Ned Kellingsfield Hospital and also the president of the SA Heart, South African Heart Foundation. And we are just busy talking about heart disease. Uh, David, why is heart disease the biggest killer? 
Okay, so let's firstly call, look, why, what heart diseases there are. Great, uh, perfect. Uh, the diseases of, of excess. And uh, there's a plethora, especially in our community, of cardiac risk factors. So, you know, there was once a case control study called the Interheart Study of 52 countries of people that survived a heart attack compared to thousands of people that didn't have a heart attack. And the common garden risk factors came out as important. And those risk factors are modifiable or non-modifiable. Firstly, the non-modifiable risk factors are genetic. So we really worry about people who say to us, well, they've got multiple first-degree relatives who've developed uh, blocked arteries, uh, ischemic heart disease, coronary artery disease at a, at a young age. So the person who says to us, my mother had a stent, my father had a bypass, my brother had a heart attack. So there may well be a genetic factor which is different, dif- difficult to determine. Now, you can't really modify those, but that individual can control their modifiable risk factors better. So that is... Uh, controlling weight, dieting, losing weight, exercising, stopping to smoke. If they're diabetic, controlling their sugar. If they've got high cholesterol, lowering their cholesterol. So those common garden risk factors are what are important, came out important in the interheart study. The two most, the two strongest um, uh, predictors of heart disease were, were smoking and, and high cholesterol together. Um, you know, um, in, in terms of when we see patients, we try to assess what is their overall risk, but it's a very difficult to, thing to get across to people because it's easy to take blood pressure, measure cholesterol, measure sugar, dipsticks the urine, examine the patient. But to determine what overall risk is, is actually quite dif- difficult. And if you had, for an example, say uh, Ellis Park Stadium filled with belligerent smokers, and if I went out, can you hear me again? Yes, I can hear him. If, if I, I went out into the center and I made an announcement, I said that if you don't stop smoking, you've got a 20% risk of a dread disease in the next 15 years. It's cancer, lung disease, or heart disease. How many do you think would stop? I don't think any. Maybe Firstly, I think I mean, marches, <laughs> and it's probably up to 10% at most. You know, I drove past, I drove past casualty this morning and I saw two guys sitting both with leg amputations, assumed to be vascular patients, the one pushing the other and both of them are smoking. So these are guys reeling their peripheral vascular disease and they're smoking outside. So human beings are very interesting uh, creatures or creations. So I'm not surprised at all with that uh, comment, 10% at most. So, but say that the same stadium was, was filled with, um, meat eaters that ate beef, meat, uh, morning, noon, and night. And if you said to them, you know, if you don't actually reduce the, the meat consumption, you've got a 1 in 150 million risk of getting mad cow disease. What do you think would happen? I'll show you they would all stop eating the beef because mad cow disease, the uh, the kind of connotation of lying in bed with a catheter, uh, paralyzed, uh, um, confused, uh, has a much bigger gives people a much bigger fright than, than the possibility of heart disease. And often people that I find 
is that their father had a heart attack or they had a stent or a bypass and they accept that this possibly could happen to them. So, um, you know, the lifestyle adaptation uh, for these diseases is probably more important than, than the medicines. So, I no, think, you know, when, when people don't have it happen to themselves or family member, it's very difficult to visualize or imagine. Everyone says it won't happen to me. So in terms of your listeners, maybe I can explain. Uh, the heart is a pump. It pumps blood and oxygen. You go and exercise, the heart needs to, to beat harder and faster to supply more blood and oxygen to all the organs and tissues that need it. But the heart muscle requires its own blood supply. And as that big pipe comes out of the heart, that big pipe is called the aorta. There's three arteries. There's a left artery which divides into two and a right artery. And one of the branches of the left artery meets the right artery behind the heart. It's like an irrigation system of your heart. Now, if you suddenly block one of those vessels off, you have a heart attack. Um, that process, that underlying pathological disease in the vessels is called atherosclerosis, which is a fibro-fatty degeneration of blood vessels. And that can occur in any vessels. The vessels supplying the brain, the heart arteries, the big aorta as it goes down to the legs, or the leg arteries. So if the artery blocks off supplying the brain, one has a stroke, and if it, if, it, if it blocks off supplying the heart muscle, one has a heart attack. And the first aid, the treatment is to get that artery, get that artery open as quick, quick as possible to restore the blood flow. Because we know that the earlier that you do that, the better is the outcome. You know, we say that Perfect. cardiology... So, Dave, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we'll, we'll carry on with the chatting after this. IFM. 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we're speaking to Dr. David Jankolo, who is the president of SA Heart and who is also a specialist cardiologist. And we are talking about cardiovascular disease and heart disease. Um, and you were just talking about the vessels blocking in the body. Do you want to continue where you left off, Dr. Jackman? So, yeah, so, um, so as I said to you, if the artery to the heart muscle blocks off, the first aid is to get that vessel open as, as quick as possible. And we use the term that we say that time is muscle. Every minute that is ticking away, more muscle is being lost. So the person who has ongoing chest pain, which is possibly getting progressively worse, the quicker they come to hospital and the quicker that um, um, treatment can be instituted, um, the better is the outcome. But when patients have a heart attack, we preferably go straight to the cardiac cath catheterization laboratory. We do an angiogram to get a roadmap of what the vessels look like and we can identify what needs to be opened. And it's preferable to use a balloon and a stent. But there are medications called thrombolytics, which are a clot-busting drug. Uh, we used to use them um, much more commonly, but, but in my hospital and many of the tertiary hospitals uh, in South Africa that have catheterization um, facilities, we preferably go straight to fix the vessel as quick as we can. But we can use thrombolytic therapy. 
Okay, so how do so you spoke that uh, ischemic heart disease, and you said the risk factors are meat eating, genetics, smoking, and any other risk factors that are going to cause people to have um, ischemic heart disease. Um, genetic factors: smoking, high cholesterol, diabetes, high blood pressure. Uh, being overweight, just having a big tummy and uh, big abdominal girth is a risk factor. Um, and, you know, people cite stress as a factor because people who come to my office and I say to them, why are you smoking 40 a day? And invariably the answer is because the stress is going to kill me. It's to help me cope with the stress. We know that stress can raise your risk for rupturing a little plaque at the time. But but it's more likely, you know, what is adaptive in you might be maladaptive in me. And it's a very difficult thing to, to quantify stress. So we're all under stress. But the cigarettes are more likely to cause disease in the long term than, than, than just psychosocial stress. It's a factor. Um, in terms of heart patients that are depressed, depressed patients who've got underlying heart disease may have a worse outcome. And we as clinicians, we're good at examining patients, picking up diseases. We're not that good at sitting and speaking to patients and finding out about their psychosocial makeup and what needs to be addressed. And we need to pay more attention to that as well. So it is a factor. Okay. So how do we prevent ischemic heart disease, cardiovascular disease? One needs to start at a young age. And uh, so that, firstly, people with a strong family history, as I said, then their their children or their family should possibly have their cholesterols and sugars analysed uh, at a much younger age. And I think a lot of young people who have high cholesterol who smoke, they don't think that they don't think that they could get this disease in the long term. You know, for when we, in terms of, of treating these patients, so the patient who's had a stent, heart attack, bypass, who's got evidence of vascular disease, they're at very high risk for recurrent events. So we would try to attend to all those different risk factors. In terms of the cholesterol, we know that aggressive cholesterol lowering may well be life-saving. We know that the lower you get the bad cholesterol, the less events there are. And for every one millimole per liter that you lower the bad cholesterol, relatively there's a 22% reduction in future events. Now, in terms of people that don't have established vascular disease but have got risk factors, that also holds true. You have to treat more, more patients for primary prevention to prevent one event compared to 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 those who've already had an event. So the person who comes to us, we can't find anything, but they've got risk factors. We have a scoring system. It's called the Framingham Risk Score. It's based on whether one is male or female, one's age. The older you are, the more um, points one adds. Your Your cholesterol, the higher it is, the more points you get. And then it looks at your good cholesterol. You know, you have good cholesterol, the HDL cholesterol. And what that does, the higher that, that that is, the better. That travels to the peripheries and it takes the bad cholesterol to the liver to be excreted. So the higher your HDL cholesterol, it, it, you, you would take 
waypoints, and then um, then uh, the then it's your blood pressure on and off treatment. The higher the blood pressure is, you add more points, and whether one is a smoker or not. And a lot of us in middle age, we get into the moderate risk range just because of our age, but that risk is 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 relative and real. Um, what you what one what one can't compute into the equation is family history and weight. So as I said to you that um, uh, just coming back to the framing and risk score, so when we see younger people, even if their cholesterol's up and they're smokers, the risk is relatively low. But if you actually now t- take a 35-year-old with those risk factors and say to them, if you were 65 and add that age in, the, the almost lifetime risk is significantly more. And sometimes that has an impact to say, gee whiz, my chance of getting this disease in the long run is much higher, so I need to do something now to prevent it in the future. Okay, so do you want to tell us a bit more about the medication that uh, people could take or when they should start taking it, maybe um, to lower their cholesterol? Yeah. So for cholesterol, um, firstly, those people with established vascular disease or diabetes, that very high risk, they should be on high-dose cholesterol-lowering we give what we call statins, okay, which actually statins have a bad rap in, in, the, in the community. People think that they've got a lot of side effects, but in fact, they, they, they haven't. Um, that uh, we, we know that 3 to 4% of people can get muscular aches and pains, but muscular aches and pains are common in the middle age to older population and often those symptoms are incorrectly ascribed to the drug. The most dangerous side effect is inflammation of muscle which can lead to kidney failure but that risk is about 1 in 70 to 80 million. But we say to anyone going on a statin that if you get a deep-seated muscle ache you must let me know and we do a blood test to um to check if, if we call creatinine kinase to see if there's been release of muscle into the blood. And if it's very high, you have to stop it. Invariably, we don't see that. So there was a study called heart protection because the people in the community think that the statins have got such significant side effects. And it was a blinded study of people with a lot of risk factors. So they gave half placebo, which was effectively Smarties, but people didn't know that it was placebo, that it had no effect, and the other half got the active drug. And the incidence of aches and pains during the study was actually the same. And once they broke the seal and they said, you on active drug and the other group, you on placebo, the incidence of muscle aches and pains went up in the active drug arm. So there's this power of suggestion as well. So the the drug traditionally is a statin, but for people for, for primary prevention, the first thing that we would be doing is say, please stop smoking, you need to diet, um, adjust your diet, you need to lose weight, and we would embark on non-drug treatment first to see if, if, if the cholesterol will come down. If it's persistently elevated, then we would consider putting them on, on medication. For those that have had vascular events, they need high-dose cholesterol lowering. And every year when the new guidelines come out, the targets get lower and lower because there's no threshold that you can't achieve benefit. And if you take a 
uh, you, you take all the cholesterol trials ever conducted, there's about 200,000 people plus that have been randomized. And you take every one of those trials and you plot the mean treated bad cholesterol versus event rates. And you put all those trials, you get a linear line that the lower you go, the less events there are. So for people that we really need high doses, if we still can't get to goal, the target for the bad cholesterol, then we would add in other therapy. And the initial drug of choice is something called azetamide, which prevents gut reabsorption. So the statin prevents liver production of cholesterol. The azetamide prevents gut reabsorption. Now you're blocking two pathways. And synergistically, you can get a much lower, uh, much lower, lower cholesterol level. Okay. In this way, there are other drugs. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, we need to take another short air break. We'll be back after this. Okay. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we speak to Dr. David Jankolo who is a specialist cardiologist at Nick Hospital and also the president of the SA Heart Foundation, SA Heart. And we have been speaking about cardiovascular disease, risk factors and treatment. We're just speaking about cholesterol and what medication to take. Uh, David, at what age should people start getting screened or tested um, regarding heart disease or the cholesterol? I think it depends on family history and it depends on other risk factors. Probably in the 20s, um, uh, everybody should know what their cholesterol is. It's, it's, it's a very reasonable thing to do to know what your cholesterol is. But possibly earlier if there's a very strong family history. Um, but everyone should be adopting a healthy lifestyle at a young age. Um, you know, the World Health Organization recommends that uh, we all do... 30 minutes of light to moderate intensity exercise five times per week. And it's not very vigorous, um, a vigorous exercise, which is brisk walking, uh, maybe light jogging, playing tennis, doing something that you, that you enjoy for 30 minutes, five times per week. There's evidence that especially in Africa, that 50% of us are not observing those guidelines. And possibly if we, we, we did, that a significant proportion of vascular events may actually be avoided. So, as I said to you, lifestyle changes are probably more important than, than just drug treatment. We need to encourage everybody, stop smoking, diet, lose weight, reduce alcohol consumption. Okay. So, t- so we've discussed now about ischemic heart disease. Um, what other heart disease is there that uh, contributes towards the morbidity and mortality that you've been speaking about? Yeah, hypertension is a very significant problem. High blood pressure in this country. Um, we treat high blood pressure mainly to prevent stroke. And especially in the black population, it's the, the incidence is, is, is very, very high. And if you understand, you know, um, when you open the faucet of your tap, water flows because of pressure. Your blood flows because of pressure as well. And so the definition of high blood pressure is persistent 
blood pressure above 140 over 90, the top reading is the systolic, the blood pressure when the heart is contracting, and the bottom reading is the diastolic when the heart is relaxed. And persistently above 140 over 90 is uh, is the definition of hypertension. Um, there's, there, there's lots of other vascular disease as well. There's diseases of poverty and rheumatic Rheumatic heart disease is still a significant uh, cause of death in children in underprivileged areas. And just to explain to your listeners, uh, we've all had a streptococcus throat. But if you have poor access to health care, you malnourished, you live in an impoverished community, lots of people in close contact with each other, and you get infected with the right streptococcus, you then set up an immune response to that streptococcal bacteria, bacterium, and that streptococcus may cross-react and damage the heart valves, and that's rheumatic valve disease, which is a significant cause of death in children in underprivileged areas. And we don't often see that in, in affluent areas, but it's still a problem in South Africa. So there's diseases of poverty. The other thing is that there's been a lot of changes in South Africa since uh, democracy uh, was established. And uh, there's the increased urbanization, people living on top of each other, adopting an unhealthy lifestyle. People, if you go to shopping centers, you see people at all fast food outlets. There's an explosion of obesity. Um um, so the, these these factors all contribute to heart disease in the future. So that's valvular heart. So I, I talked about rheumatic valve disease, um, which is still a problem. And uh, there's lots of people working uh, a, a lot in the in this area. Okay. Um, and uh, what about the when pe- people closely say um, that they were in heart failure or someone died of heart failure? Do you want to tell us maybe um, what heart failure is and what the risk factors for it and what are the different uh, cardiomyopathies or different uh, types heart of heart failure, the cause of heart failure? Heart failure is, a, uh, is the definition of heart failure is just the book says when the heart is unable to supply blood and oxygen to the metabolizing tissues and organs at a rate that those tissues and organs require. It's a very difficult definition because heart failure can be due to left-sided heart disease or right-sided heart disease or a combination of both. The left side of the heart pumps oxygenated blood to all your organs and tissues that, that, that require it. The right side receives the blue blood, the venous blood from the tissues after the oxygen has been extracted and it pumps it to the lungs so that Oxygen can be incorporated into the blood and that oxygenated blood then returns to the left side and pumps it forward. So congestive cardiac failure is where the left side fails. So that can be due to a weak left heart, a thick left heart, valvular disease um, on the left side or coronary artery disease, what, what we discussed. It can be due to the lining of the heart, the pericardium. And the left-sided heart disease may then cause raised pressure on the right side. So we call that congestive cardiac failure. 
commonly due to a weak left heart chamber. The right side, right, pure right-sided failure, the medical term is called corpomenale. So when people have lung disease, it can put the right side under strain. If people, people have had clots in the lungs, it can put it under strain. Obesity can do this. Um, sleep apnea, which is, uh, is fairly common in um, people that are, are overweight and are significant snorers. So we then go through the emotion of looking at the lungs, the blood vessels supplying the, um, the, the, the lungs, um, and the heart itself. So that's pure corporate <laughs> In terms of the left heart, if I can... Sorry, David, sorry to interrupt you. We're just going to take another short ad break and then we can go into the left heart. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome to this, back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we speak to Dr. David Jankolo, cardiologist and president of SA Heart, and we're busy talking about different types of heart failure. We just scrub the right heart failure. We're going to talk about left heart failure now. Okay, so, so when one has a weak left bottom heart chamber, we call that cardiomyopathy, and we go all out to look for the cause, whether the arteries are blocked, whether perhaps that patient has had a viral inflammation of the heart muscle. Um, uncontrolled high blood pressure could lead to left heart failure and also valvular heart disease. But the treatment is, if you imagine a sick horse pulling a cart up the hill, and that cart has, say, 100 kilograms of wood or bricks, and that poor horse is struggling, and he's walking up a significant incline. And you can say, well, how can we make this horse more efficient? The first thing you can say is, well, let's whip him. But if you whip him, that might work in the short term, but it won't in the long term. You're going to make the horse tired. We sometimes do whip the heart, and that's called inotropes, and we, which we only use in an ICU setting. It's particularly when people come into hospital with low blood pressure, they're not perfusing well, their limbs are cold, and we need to get the head of blood pressure, the head of pressure up. But that's a short-term solution. The next thing you can do is, if that cart has a hundred kilograms of bricks, you can lighten the preload before he walks up the afterload. So effectively, that's like taking half the bricks away and giving that to the more able-bodied horses. And that in medicine is diuretics. Now, diuretics, medicines that make you urinate, don't save your life in this setting. If one's lungs are flooded with fluid and your oxygen levels are low, it could save one's life at that point in time. But diuretics can cause a drop in potassium, magnesium. It can cause kidney dysfunction if you use too much. If you're over what we call diarrhea, it can drop the blood pressure. So we try to go to the lowest dose of diuretic um, that is required. We often get these patients off the diuretic. The best way to treat that situation is to drop that, that afterload, that huge gradient. So that's letting the horse pull the cart on a, on a flat road. And that effectively is a drug called ACE inhibitors. And the ACE inhibitors, what they do is they open the blood vessels and make it much easier for the heart to eject its load. And, 
but it's that's a bit of a simplistic um, explanation because those ACE inhibitors actually work at the heart cells. So if you treat somebody with a weak left heart with an ACE inhibitor and you slowly up titrate the dose, is subsequently that's been shown in trials there's a 35% reduction in in subsequent deaths or or further progression to to worse heart failure. Um, we also use drugs called beta blockers which slow the heart. Uh, heart rate and that resets the energetics. The beta blockers prevent heart failure and that also reduces deaths and subsequent events. And our patient with cardiac failure now is about 50% less likely to die in during this current in in 2021 compared to say 25, 30 years ago because of all the new innovations. There's lots of other innovations for when people have refractory heart failure. There's devices and even um, pace, such as pacemakers where we pace both sides of the heart and the person with ongoing heart failure that's refractory, despite all these interventions, we, we would consider heart transplantation. Okay. When does, when did, when does a, a patient have to come see a cardiologist? Should everybody over the age of, I don't know, 50 or anyone with risk factors come see a cardiologist? Or when is it good enough just to stay with your GP? It's, it's fine to stay with one's GP, but particularly those, I think for, for, for middle aged people with risk factors, doing a, uh, having an examination by a cardiologist or their physician and having a stress test every few years is, is a very reasonable thing to do. It just depends on the individual person. I would say middle-aged people, particularly with risk factors. But I see lots of younger people that are concerned. They have atypical symptoms. It's created some anxiety. And there's nothing, you know, reassurance is, uh, is uh, very good medicine. You know, when you can extract fear from people and tell them it's fine to exercise, carry on doing what you're doing, um, uh, your, your symptoms aren't related to the heart. That's, that's a very reassuring thing. Okay. Okay. Very good. Sorry, say again? That I hope that answers your questions. No, it did. It's just, I mean, it's, you know, I guess people are scared. Can they, uh, when should you see a specialist? Is it fine just having your blood pressure meds or your blood pressure checked um, at your general practitioner? Because, I mean, the vast majority of people or patients that I see, say, over the age of 50 on uh, blood pressure tablets, cholesterol, yeah, I think medication. It's it's a variable thing. I don't think there's there's absolute set guidelines, but GPs certainly can have a significant role in screening patients and then determining who needs to be referred to a specialist or not, and and also treating all these risk factors. Okay, so you mentioned that cardiovascular disease is the is the biggest killer that we have worldwide and scary stats that you said up to fifty thousand deaths was a daily daily probably seventeen million people worldwide and uh, and is that is that from having heart attacks that or is that from heart failure or what actually is what actually is killing these uh, all, all kinds of heart disease and in fact most of most of the cardiac events are now develop, occurring in the developing world. So that people that were previously impoverished, when a country becomes industrialized, 
industrialized. It goes through the social changes that we have. It leads to an explosion of heart disease in the future. So, you know, in 2019, our association has a big national congress every single year. And the congress in 2019 at the Centen Convention Center, the theme was called Meeting the Needs of Africa. And five major societies in South African Heart Association with the Pan-African Society of Cardiology, an interventional group called Africa PCR, a cardiac MRI group, and uh, an advocacy group called the African Heart Network met at the, met at the Centen Convention Center. We had approximately 1,100 delegates and 150 speakers from 12 countries to try and develop a way forward for the developing world because most of the heart disease is occurring in the developing world. You know, even in Europe, uh, uh, some time ago, deaths from premature cardiac disease were declining, but now there's actually an increase in, in premature deaths, even in, 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 in more affluent, um, in affluent uh, communities. So it's a okay. problem. Okay, we're going to take another short ad break. We'll be back now. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we're speaking to Dr. David Jankolo, president of SA Heart and a specialist cardiologist. In our last five minutes, uh, Dr. Jankolo, can you tell us um, about how we should all be preventing, just a, a quick summary of how we should all be uh, preventing heart disease uh, with lifestyle changes and uh, when we should be seeing our doctors and how regularly? So I think, first of all, every all of us should be adopting a healthy lifestyle, um, which is adopting a good diet. We as an association, we, we, we um, reaffirm the Mediterranean diet, which is rich in olive oil, whole grains, mixed nuts, um, uh, low fat, low GI foods, exactly what they have on the Mediterranean. So it's good diet, exercise, as I said, it's 30 minutes, five times per week of, of light to moderate intensity exercise, stopping smoking, reducing alcohol. If you've got high blood pressure, seeing your doctor and controlling one's blood pressure. If you've got diabetes, that needs to be controlled as well. And diabetes and heart disease is a very, very complex issue at the moment. Um, and just adopting all those things. And if we all did that, then uh, that would lead to a significant reduction in subsequent cardiac events. Um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that does. That does. And regarding having having your blood pressure and cholesterol taken, from what age and how often? I think that if you if there's a strong family history of premature cardiac disease, you should have it taken at an earlier age. Uh, I would say that everyone in their twenties uh, should have a cholesterol done and a sugar and a, their sugar their glucose done. Um, it's not unreasonable to have one's, everyone's blood pressure taken from time to time uh, as well. So it's, and particularly if you've got symptoms of chest pain, that you should be consulting your general practitioner and even 
being seen by a physician or a cardiologist. You know, we see lots of people with chest pain and there, there are many causes of chest pain other than heart disease. And as I said to you, often reassurance that this is not due to the heart, uh, it, as I said, extracts fear from, from, from people. Okay. And uh, you spoke about um, stopping smoking or not starting smoking. And uh, uh, what about alcohol? You mentioned briefly um, alcohol. Um, no, so, alcohol. Is it- so alcohol, um, we know that alcohol may be poison for the heart muscle and those that uh, drink a lot. I think one to two tots of some kind of spirits a day um, is reasonable if you enjoy it. It may reduce heart disease, but anything more than that, anything more than, than moderate, may actually raise blood pressure and raise cholesterol. So I don't drink, but uh, if you really enjoy a tot of whiskey every night, um, it may it, it, it may possibly be beneficial. But um, but if you don't enjoy it, then <laughs> there's no reason to do it. But excessive uh, having uh, a lot of alcohol uh, can actually be deleterious, raise blood pressure and cause heart disease as well. All right. Dr. David Jankelo, thank you so much for joining us on 101.95 FM. This is Medical Monday. I really enjoyed the past hour chatting to you. I'm sure our listeners um, have also uh, enjoyed it as much as I had. If people want more information on SA heart and heart disease, um, what is the website or how do they get hold of you? www.saheart.org. And um, we've got a lot of news on it. Uh, and um, we also look us up on social media. Our Facebook profile is is really vibrant, which which has posts every single day. And the vast majority of people that follow us are, are non-medical people. So I think Facebook would be a very good place for people to look. Twitter is a little bit more challenging, but uh, I would say look at our website and, and Facebook because there's articles posted almost every single day. That would be a very good portal for your right. your, your listenership to, to look at. But thank you for Brilliant. the opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, I hope I did it justice for you. Yeah, you did. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week, same time, on a 1.9 Hi FM. Thank you, Dave. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.